On this episode of 1.21 Gigawatts, direct from the 2017 Garden State Comic Fest, we talk with actor Lauren Lester, who celebrates 25 years as the animated voice of Robin and Nightwing, dating back to the iconic Batman the Animated Series. And we have our first ever podcast contest giveaway! There are prizes, people! Now, straight from the Gotham City Department of Motor Vehicles, this is 1.21 Gigawatts! Hey there, and welcome to 1.21 Gigawatts, episode number 19 for August 2017. I'm your host, Brad Barton. This podcast is meant to shine a spotlight on the aspects of geek pop culture that I think are cool and noteworthy and should be celebrated. And I intend to do that not only by bringing you interviews with the creators of said nerdly awesomeness, but also with a series of rotating segments and features that take a deep dive into a specific geeky topic. Before we plunge into the show, I want to let you know about a place where you can actually see me, not just hear me, discussing the latest genre movies with the stars of those movies. Thanks to the entertainment website JoeBlow.com, I recently had the chance to sit down and talk about The Dark Tower with the film's stars Idris Elba and Matthew McConaughey. And then I got to talk about The Last Jedi with John Boyega. Nerdvana! John and I primarily spoke about his decidedly unnerdy but very powerful new film, Detroit, but there was no way I was going to chat with one of the heroes of the Star Wars sequel trilogy and not ask him about the galaxy far, far away. You can check out both interviews at joeblow.com. Here's how you find them. At that website, open the menu at the top left, click on Celebrity Interviews, and there they are. Many enthusiastic thanks to joeblow.com for the opportunities. Speaking of the Dark Tower, I have a Dark Tower prize package that needs to go to a worthy home, and that home could be yours! Ladies, gentlemen, and geeks of all ages, it's time for the first 1.21 Gigawatts podcast contest giveaway! Here's what you're playing for. A copy of the oversized hardcover book, The Dark Tower, The Art of the Film, by Daniel Wallace, which, as you'd expect, is loaded with pre-production art, amazing photos of the sets, costumes and production elements, and fantastic behind-the-scenes text tying it all together. But wait, there's more! I've also got a copy of The Dark Tower, The Gunslinger, by Stephen King. It's the book that the movie is largely based on and is a great entry point into King's iconic book series. That's over $50 worth of literary awesomeness for your nerdiest bookshelf. And here's how you, but only you, can win them. I'm not going to lie to you, this contest is a bit of a membership drive as well. So to enter your name into the giveaway, you're going to do three things. Ready? Here's number one. Sign up to receive the 1.21 Gigawatts newsletter. You do that by going to the website, 121gigawatts.com, and scrolling to the bottom of the main page. You'll see a box that says, Receive Our Newsletter. Enter your email address there, press the sign up button, and you're in! Easy! One of the things done! I am the only one that ever sees these emails, and I'm not going to do anything with your email other than reach out once a month and say hi and check out the new episode or something. I'm not selling the list to any Nigerian princes looking for bank routing numbers, I promise. Task number two. 
Follow the social media accounts. On Twitter, that's at 121gigawatts. On Facebook, that's facebook.com slash 121gigawatts. And on Instagram, that's 1.21 underscore gigawatts. Maybe you already do follow and like those accounts. If so, thanks, you're awesome. And now move on to the final step. Step three. On one of those social media outlets, repost or share a link to any of the 19 episodes of this podcast. It could be this episode, it could be your favorite interview to date, whatever. Just spread the word and tag 1.21 gigawatts so I know about it and you get credit. And if you're not a social media person, share your favorite episode to your favorite nerdy discussion board forum thingy. You post an episode on a relevant subreddit page and I'll love you forever. Just let me know what you do so you can get credit for it. If you do those three things, you will be entered to win this fantastic prize package. I'll put a picture of the books up on the socials so you can see how pretty they are. But you only have until September 15th, 2017 to make it happen. That's when a winner will be selected, announced, declared to be the chosen one, and will bring balance to the force. And win those awesome books. Good luck. And may the odds be ever in your favor. In July, I had the pleasure of hosting a panel discussion at the Garden State Comic Fest in Morristown, New Jersey called Raise Your Voice. It was a conversation between myself and Lauren Lester, a man who has entertained us in front of the camera and behind the microphone most notably with 25 years worth of performances as Robin and Nightwing in various beloved animated projects and video games, beginning with the Emmy-winning Batman the Animated Series. I hope you enjoy this panel discussion as much as I enjoyed moderating it, live on tape from the Garden State Comic Vest. The name of this program is Raise Your Voice, and now would be your cue to raise your voice as we welcome to the stage Mr. Lauren Lester. Yeah. Uh... So, of course, you're, you're most known for your recurring work as a regular character on a program which thrilled and entertained afternoon audiences, riveting devoted fans with not only the action of that specific episode, but the ongoing character relationships, the evolution. I'm speaking, of course, about General Hospital. Let's really dive in and talk about your fo- most famous creation, <laughs> Meyer. Let's really dig in. <laughs> that was actually fun, though. That was a fun job. I, I believe it. Yeah. I believe it. Obviously, we're going to talk a lot about Robin and Nightwing, a lot. But I, I have a lot of respect for anyone who spends a lot of time in uh, in the trenches of, of daytime TV. Not that this is about me. It's about you. But many, many years and lives ago, I did a day on One Life to Live. And it was not oh. easy. It's oh, quick, so quick In line. New York, when it was in New York? In New York, wow. yeah. Yeah. So super fast line memorization. You learn the blocking. In my weird situation, I had fight choreography. It was a weird day. So, but I walked away thinking like, man, anyone who can do this. So tell and, me about and, that experience. And the, way, and the way they can turn on the, the waterworks, you know, in a second, just like they can cry and, and they have to do it over and over again. And can everybody hear me, by the way? Yeah, good, okay. Uh, so, yeah, I actually did three different soap operas. I did General Hospital, Bold and the Beautiful, and Young and the Restless. Mm-hmm. And uh, Bold and the Beautiful, I had such a nice time that I became hooked on the show, and I actually <laughs> have watched every episode over the last six years. I'm not kidding. Wow. So, Do you prefer the Bold or the Beautiful? They're both pretty good, but okay. the Beautiful is kind of, you know, 
Hard not to. Hard not to. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, how 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 long were you doing them, and and was it in fact this really quick? I mean, I just remember seeing people walking around with scripts like this, knowing well, this was the next day. Remember though, this the, the scripts like this are multiple episodes. Uh. So very often you're doing uh, two episodes in a day, or two scenes from two different episodes in a day. And on General Hospital, that was the longest uh, recurring character I had. I yeah. was the uh, um, accountant to the mob, the, the mob boss, Sonny. And uh, I didn't get killed, but they left it open for me to come back. But that's been a while. I don't think I'm coming back. <laughs> yeah, I was, that's often how it works on soap. I was going to yeah. say, I, did, I didn't get killed either, Lauren. <laughs> and yet, here we are. Uh, so, so let's talk about your adventures in Gotham City. Yes. Uh, I know that when you're working on a new show, the cast and crew are never really able to predict uh, you know, what the reception is going to be. And I'm sure that people ask you all the time, like, did you guys have any idea that it was going to be uh, so popular? But in the case of Batman, the animated series, you definitely had as stacked a deck as one could hope for before releasing uh, a project. Because, of course, by the time the show debuted in, in 92... Batman Fever was still pretty high, yes, right? Batman yes. Returns had just come out three months earlier, and Batman, of course, was still a huge character in comics, largely because um, Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns was only a few years old at that point. So, which is my extremely long-winded way of asking you if you were ever aware of anyone on the production side um, thinking, you know, this is this is pretty hot. If we made a cartoon right now, this is going to be a slam dunk. Well, um, I, I think they they thought it would be successful, but. Did they think that 30 years later we'd be talking about it? <laughs> Nobody thought that. I'm sure. Uh, and it's really came as a wonderful surprise to everybody that it, it became such a such an icon. And um, when we saw the show on the air uh, for the first time, the music, the look, we already knew the writing was different, but the music and the look of the show was drawn on black paper. It was really something special. We said, wow, this is, this is going to be a great show. Had no idea it was going to have the kind of, uh, you know, longevity that it's had. No way. Sure, sure. What, what point did it dawn on you, as, even as an audience member of the show, or as a member just of, you know, the pop culture in, in general, hey, this project is special and people really seem to be embracing it. Did someone come up to you? Did you get messages? Was there anything like, hey, I saw your show, and apparently so did millions of other people. <laughs> Well, um, what happened was, uh, you know, it, at that time, people didn't uh, watch things at will. They didn't watch it whenever they wanted it. They had to watch it at 3.30 after like, school. What's that like? I That's know, weird. Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so people would run home from school, and, and people come up to, to me and still talk about this to this day, about how important it was that this was something they could count on every single day. They would come home after school and watch the show. Mm -hmm. So it was on every single day, and we knew we were getting a, a big following. Uh, I, I honestly, we have a bigger following now than we've ever had because those people all had children. So yes. now there's two generations of people who, who, who watch the show. So no, we, I, I don't think the show has ever been bigger than it is right now, to be honest with you. Well, and it's, it's hard not to argue with that also when the show, like when the show introduces, you know, these tiny little throwaway characters like Harley Quinn, <laughs> you know, who, who now is obviously massive, massive, massive. Show of hands, how many Harley Quinns have you seen today walking around? Three, four, more than 20? Sure. Uh, <laughs> and speaking of Harley Quinn, I don't want to take your job. Go ahead. No, sure, go ahead. <laughs> no, no. Go She's ahead. right here. <laughs> 
what what do you feel is the reason that the show is so successful with critics and fans that we're that we're sitting here twenty? I mean, you're touching on some of these things, of course, but is there anything that that you look at it and think? Well, you know, I think it's, it's I think the reason I think the reason people love uh, the really successful comic books uh, because the the ones that are really successful have a lot of humanity. The characters are complicated. They're not just good versus evil. I mean, there is the issue of good versus evil. But the heroes are all complicated people. And I think they captured that in that show. I mean, you've got to remember at that time, you know, what did you have? You have the Smurfs and, you know, the Ninja Turtles. And I guess, you know, those were the shows. On, I'm not putting those down. I'm just saying that, that those weren't very complicated. This was a show with comic book kind of complicated people. Yeah. And I think that really rang true. And especially, you know, the relationship between Batman and Robin, it really is pretty tense, you know. They really explored that whole thing where, uh, you know, uh, Dick became Nightwing and went off on his own and and uh, punched Batman. I don't know if you remember that moment, but that was really, you know, that was really quite a quite an iconic moment. A reenactment in the house. Yep. That did, what happened? It did happen. A punch was thrown. A oh. slow motion punch was thrown. <laughs> no. He was smiling, so it was a little bit different. Yeah, I hope Kevin's not around. He didn't hit him. <laughs> uh, I, I, I love that you brought up, and I think it's worth repeating because every time it's a, a fact that I stumble over, it, it, it amazes me that... Uh, of course, the show is very moody and lots of shadows, very cinematic, very film noir aesthetic. But that they that they literally started with black paper. Yes. Yeah. When when animating, which, boy, you wouldn't think that something so subtle, so small like that, but it just helps set, set the mood in such an amazing way. And they also started with the concept that they wanted to make it as much as a cinematic experience as possible. Mm-hmm. That was Bruce Timms. I know one of his his definite uh, goals was to make it like you're watching a movie not like you're watching a cartoon yeah let's talk about some of the people involved with that since we're celebrating uh 25 years on of of batman the animated series it's absolutely worth mentioning some of those genius talents who helped create this iconic piece of of batman and robin legacy um and if you've got any stories about them or just what they were like and and what the mood was at the time uh, let's start with the writer, the producer, the editor, Paul Dini, who is often the, the name that is often associated with this show. Well, Paul and, and, and Bruce mm-hmm. are both very, very quiet people. They're very... And, Stanley Tanaka. I'm sorry, that's an Main announcement. Office. I have to go. No. <laughs> um, uh, I had, a, I had a, a... My experience with them was always they were very, very quiet and very, almost kind of bashful, you know, mm-hmm. kind of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, like what you'd expect, uh, you know, comic book uh, people to <laughs> be like, you know. Sure. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah. And uh, I did um, uh, a movie with Wes Craven, and I, I found him to be very quiet, too. Very, mm-hmm. very quiet. He knew what he wanted, though. See, Paul and Bruce and, and Wes Craven, they all very much know what they want, and they're able to express that, but in a very quiet, quiet way. Yeah. Let's talk about uh, also the composer. I know that there were a lot of composers on the show, but Shirley Walker is a name that jumps out to me. So if the show began with the really famous um, Danny Elfman theme and then sort of went from there, her music is amazing. Oh, that, good, huh? right, that was. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, even better. Uh, <laughs> she, uh, she captured the style so well of that show. I don't know if you guys ever had any no, communication no, with her. No, no. Uh, in fact, I had no interaction with a lot of the behind-the-scenes people. Mm-hmm. Um, I know someone that you had some communication with, though, is uh, Andrea Romano. Oh, yes. Casting and the voice director of the yes, show. Yes, So tell me about... Uh, 
did she? So she cast it initially, but then she was involved throughout, right? What, did she? Do, yes, yeah. she directed every single episode. Okay. Yeah, she was there for. And the casting, I think, was kind of like a group effort. I think uh, mm-hmm. Alan Burnett, you know, Warner Brothers, and a bunch of people were involved in that. But uh, she she directed every single episode of the show. So when you hear directed by, you know, there's two different directors yeah. really. There's the director who does the visuals. And then there's the director who does the voice, and she did the voice direct direction on all of the shows. And she continued not only on uh, the initial Batman animated series, but then what it became, and like every iteration. I mean, yes. I feel like I've seen... She, I think, was just at a show in Denver like a week or two ago and did some big Justice League panel, and there she was, still directing, like That's front right. and center, bringing out the whole cast. And, and not just of- that, but she directed a bunch of other shows. I worked with her on Sylvester and Tweety. You know, so she she's done a lot of other things too. Yeah, so let's talk about uh, your the rest of the incredible voice cast on the show. I know that often, even on the road, you're here. You're sitting next to Kevin Conroy. I'm yep. no Kevin Conroy, but uh, he seems like he's a fun guy, and you clearly have a pretty good rapport together. Yes, we we've been seeing each other a lot more than we have in many years because, uh, well, I guess because it's the 25th anniversary, there's been a lot more Comic Cons that want both of us there. So I've seen a lot more of him. It's funny, I, over the years I've gotten you know, fan mail and they'll send me something and they'll say, can you sign this and can you get Kevin to sign it too? <laughs> and you know, it might, might have been years maybe before I'd seen Kevin. It's like, they think we really are in yeah. the Batcave Clearly together. Clearly he's right next to you. Yeah, <laughs> right. So, but this year in particular, I, I see him every few weeks, so it's great. Um, talk to me about uh, Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. Oh, he's great. He's yeah. wonderful. Uh, first of all, uh, here's here's a guy that I grew up with on a lot of TV shows that you're all too young to remember, but a show called FBI and many, many other shows. And he, he goes back, I think, to the late 40s. He started in the movies, I, I, mm. I'm pretty sure. But uh, anyway, the first thing he says, you know, it's like, oh my God, and I'm geeking out, you know, because I'm meeting this guy. And the first thing he says, hello, lad, call me Effie. And I was like, <laughs> and that was it. Broke the ice. And from then on, he was Effie and we were just pals. It was very nice. That's excellent. And of course, you had a huge amount of other super notable guest stars. Yes. Um, I, just because I feel like I'm contractually obligated to drop the name Mark Hamill, I will say Mark Hamill is the Joker. Yes, indeed. Um, which uh, is a, an, an incredible turn. But man, there were so many others that, that came through there as well. So tell me about recording with them. Uh, in, initially, were you all recording together? All like together. Radio play style? Or, all okay. together. And okay. that's something that doesn't happen anymore, unfortunately. But back then, we would all be in the same room together. And uh, it was doing like a play, as you yeah. say. did Like doing a radio play. And some of these people, uh, some of them had really great careers in uh, movies and TV. But a lot of them had never done voiceover before. Some, for some of them, this was actually their first voiceover job. Oh, really? So uh, we did everything we can to make them feel comfortable. You could tell a lot of them were feeling a little out of, out of their element, you know, but they, you know, eventually came around. I remember one, one guy who was a star of a TV show at the time, he just said, I, I just don't know how you guys do this, which was kind of, it was really kind of a nice thing to say. And so we just walked him through it and, and he did great. Do you remember? Are you at liberty to say who that was? I'd rather not. Okay. Because it was Mark Hamill. <laughs> right. Mark Hamill. We walked Mark Hamill through it. He did not know. <laughs> he can't read either. 
everything, the script phonetic, everything. Oh my God, wouldn't that be funny? Was that ever distracting in a way? I mean, to get everyone in there, I would think this, like, this has got to be, not that you're not all professionals, but summer vocal summer camp in a way, like, that's Mark Hamill, that's Roddy McDowell. Well, we would have a moment when we got there to, like, you know, get over that, like, oh my God, it's Roddy McDowell, as you say. Uh, But then once we got into it, it was, it was, great to have everybody there you know bouncing off of one another and they the way they recorded it they would go as long as they could until there was a mistake or a technical error or they wanted it in a different way so we would go you know maybe page or two you know acting off of one another it's an experience you don't get anymore unfortunately that's incredible so would it just be from scene to scene like would you stop at the end of the scene and we would always stop at the end of the scene yeah okay that's incredible. Yeah, just to just go. Yeah, get through the whole scene sometimes is terrific. Because nowadays it seems like more the norm, whether whether it's an animated series or doing voiceover for cartoons or whatever the case might be, it's, as you say, it's sort of you in a booth and often like, all right, try it three different ways. Right. Give me three different takes of whatever line. Exactly. And yeah. sometimes uh, if it's a really, really famous person, they can't be there at all, so you do the whole part by yourself. Yeah. Mm. That's work. Uh, how many of these people do you still communicate with, on uh, whether it's the creative team or the other voice actors, and have you worked on them, worked with them on other projects? You mentioned, uh, obviously, with um, uh, Andrea Romano, for uh, sure. Somebody I was friends with for, for a while, uh, unfortunately he's gone, is Bob Hastings, and he was just a lovely guy, so I got a chance to remain friends with him for a few years. Um, I don't... Uh, no, I, and, I, and actually, we've just had a reunion, you know, with Bruce and, and with Paul and everyone because we did two projects. One was last year for Viewmaster. We did a brand new episode of Batman the Animated Series for the virtual world uh, Viewmaster right. that they have. Not the Viewmaster like this, That <laughs> for those of you who are my age... But actually, it's a vir- virtual world where you can look all around the room and up and down, and you're immersed in it. So they wrote specifically a, a brand new episode for us. So Paul was involved in that, and and then of course coming out in uh, August is a Batman and Harley Quinn. Yeah. And Nightwing. Uh, that's not part of the title, <laughs> but I'm there. I would like to see that key art, <laughs> yeah, though. Batman and it's right. in my contract. It has to be down there. Right. No. But uh, <laughs> it, it's uh, it, it, it was a great. That was a great reunion, and uh, we all got to work together again in Bruce, and it was terrific. Well, and and clearly one of the coolest things I think about the cast and creative team as assembled. Uh, and it's stating the obvious because because it's been 25 years. But that you all got to work together so often. I mean that. You know, when it came 94, 95, I was like, well, good work, everyone. We wrapped up a heck of a three years, and off we go. Like, no, then a few years later, everyone's back in the room again. And then there's going to be a video game, and everyone's back in the room again. So yeah. that's, that's really exciting. Yeah, no, that was terrific. It was always a thrill to get that call. Sure, absolutely. So you started voicing Robin in 92, and will return to the character of Dick Grayson, as you say, as Nightwing again in uh, Batman and Harley Quinn. Uh, which has a long history with one character. So I'm curious how the character has grown from your perspective and, and what you've had to do with your performance to help communicate that the fact that the character has aged and matured because you're in a somewhat unique position, I think, in animation that, that you're with a character that has visibly aged and has had clear life experiences with consequences. The, the character that you're playing now is a very different character from... Batman and nine, or from Robin in 92. Yeah, but it's not different from Nightwing. And that's what's, that's what's so great about this movie 
is that those of you who are fans of the show, this picks up right where it left off. It's as if the show continued on. So they really have gone back to who those people were at that moment when, as you say, it's like, oh, we're done, the show's over. Uh, but uh, the Nightwing that I was playing back then is still the Nightwing I'm playing now. Gotcha. So, and I have the same voice, and Kevin has the same voice, <laughs> so which, is kind of, which kind of worked out nicely. Right, right. When, when you're asked to return to a character uh, like Nightwing, what does it take to find that voice or the character again? Is it like riding a bike? Or a motorcycle, if you will. Sorry, I'm sorry. I'll see myself out. Uh, or, or does it take some work to find that again? Or is it, uh, it, it took about two lines because <laughs> what happens? What happens is we we all line up at our microphones and we do a sound check and we do a couple of lines so the sound engineer can uh, can set the proper levels for each microphone because everybody speaks differently. Some people are louder. Some people are softer. You know, some people have more timber to their voices. So uh, I did a, a couple of lines, and uh, I think it was Bruce. He said, he said, pitch it up just a little bit, because I had, I'd come in, I'd come in sounding a little too much like Kevin, I think, you know, down here. He said, like, pitch it up a little bit. So a couple lines, and there I was. I was back as Nightwing. Nice. I, you know, we, you talked about this earlier, but, but how personal and how, uh, uh, how real, how gritty sometimes, not gritty, but... But how, how real the relationships felt between some of these characters sometimes. Yeah. And it, it always impresses me on the show. Uh, <laughs> I'm speaking of it as if it's running right now. That's uh, that to your it point. Is, people it is on right Amazon. <laughs> uh, there we go. <laughs> it always impresses me how often the characters do or did, depending on when you're watching the show, spend time... Uh, how much, spend, how much time they spend in their civilian identities. Uh, so even if Dick Grayson and, and Bruce Wayne and Alfred are working to solve a case or something, they're, they're often not in their superhero outfits, mm -hmm. which to me shows a lot of confidence for a show that presumably had a lot of kids, you know, turning in to see costumed people running around. Um, for example, in, in the Sub-Zero movie, have you seen Sub-Zero? So good. It's so good. Two of my favorites. Uh, it's yeah. fantastic. Mm -hmm. A huge amount of time goes by without costumes, including a great and very cinematic highway chase scene with, with Dick Grayson. Um, I feel like we don't even get them in costume until like the final third of the movie, almost. God, I never and, even thought about and that. It's, That's it's true. not really yeah. for, you know, you're, you're not thinking, when do the superheroes show up? Because it's really very riveting up to that point. Well, you're... you're um you're in, so involved in these characters. I, I, I remember watching uh, Batman and Robin, the, you know, the, the Adam West, Burt Ward one, mm. and it was always exciting seeing them in their civilian clothes and then leaping onto the, to the bat poles and, <laughs> and changing, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, if you're, if, you're, um, if you're that involved in the characters, I think you like to see both ways, yeah. Yeah, I and agree. That, but that's uh, Sub-Zero, I didn't think about that, but that's true, yeah. Yeah, it's that. That's a really person. It's very personal for a lot of characters. I mean, obviously for Mister Freeze. Oh, he was great! Wow, yeah. what a great actor. He's a tremendous actor. I could listen to that character voice all day long. Um, you've performed the character for so many projects, uh, TV series, the movies, the video games. I'm, for I'm assuming, many different writers and directors. Uh, at least. Uh, directors specifically, probably right. Well, Have no, it was Andrea the whole time, except for um, uh, this. This latest movie is directed by Wes Gleason. Yeah, did she work on the video games also? The ones, yes, really, uh, not not uh, the last one I did, which was Arkham Knight, where I played Man Bat. That was somebody else. But uh, the previous games, uh, Rise of Sinzu, and all those that that was Andrea. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, where, where I'm going with this is, I, I wonder if you'd ever encountered a script or a direction note that made you think, you know, I am not sure that Nightwing would say that, or that's a little bit out of character, because at this point, you've got to feel a certain degree of ownership over the character and his voice, both literally and figuratively. Is there ever a moment they're like, could we rethink? Well, no, you know, I got my hats off to uh, the, you know, the creatives behind this, because they... They, they really, I was never really put in that position. In, in the new movie, they, they, because it's, it's not censored, because we don't have uh, network people breathing down their neck, they're able to do things and the characters are able to say things that they wouldn't have been able to say on TV. And nothing really terrible. I'm just saying it, it, it pushes the envelope more. So, you know, looking at those lines for the first time, I was like, oh, I get to say that. That's great. Not, I don't think I'd say that. Mm. Be like, oh, I get to say that now. You know? That's interesting. That's interesting. Uh, I know that you're partial to a few episodes, uh, specific episodes of the series. Yeah. Um, the two-part Emmy Award-winning plotline, Robin's Reckoning, yep. is, is one of them. And uh, you've mentioned old wounds yes. before. Um, why are those two so special to you? I think I know the answer to this, but I'd love to hear you talk well, about Well, old that. wounds, because I got to play both characters, both mm. sides of Dick Grayson. I got to play uh, Robin in the flashback sequences, because he's talking to the young Robin in the beginning as Nightwing, and then there's flashback sequences where I play Robin. So I got to play both, both sides of Dick Grayson, the younger Dick Grayson and the more mature superhero Dick Grayson. And then, of course, Robin's Reckoning was great because you really got to see the backstory of who he is, the circus family and all that. And uh, that's always great for an actor when most of the time you have to make up a backstory, you know. <laughs> Didn't have to make up. The backstory was right there. Yeah, that's interesting. How much... How much backstory, or rather, the character had such a rich history already by the time you came to it, what backstory, which backstory does, does one go with where you... I mean, I know that, obviously, Dick Grayson's backstory is, is a relatively straightforward thing. You know, child of the circus and his parents died, etc. But uh, so between Burt Ward... Uh, doing one thing on yeah. the show and and decades of comics doing another thing on the show and even previous iteration of Batman cartoons doing different things on the, where was there ever a thought of like we're going to hew closest to this version from the past or we're going to do something totally different or was there a, a thought along those lines to they, they, match or get they away never, from something? They never wanted to take away the darkness of Batman. They wanted Batman to be a dark brooding loner kind of character. So if you notice in the show, Robin, Robin's in the first episode and then he disappears and comes back like 16 episodes later. And that was actually their conscious choice. They wanted to make a very dark brooding show and they didn't want a Robin that would take away from that. So when, they, when Robin became a part of the show finally, uh, he was not, he never said holy anything. Holy cow, Batman. No, there's none of that. And uh, so they, they really toned all of that down to make him a true sidekick to, and, and kind of resentful about, you know, it works right. so well because he was resentful about his being a loner, about Batman being a loner and being so moody, you know, because he wasn't that way. And so that was a good, good uh, dichotomy they had going with the two. Well, the interesting balance there, of course, is that when he does show up, and, and you're right, there's a huge stretch of time, but we sort of pick up with him as a college kid. Right. And he's got his own life, thank you very much. Right. So he's both resentful of Batman not being like, hey, but we're Batman and Robin. I mean, it's on the posters. I right. Mean, what's, but 
while at the same time thinking like, look, I have a life, okay? All right, and, and I need more responsibility and you're not giving it to me. You yeah, know? yeah, which was, which was really fantastic and very mm. satisfying. So uh, as I'm sure you're aware, uh, Mark Hamill takes great pleasure in reading tweets and other film dialogue as the Joker. Uh, <laughs> other voice actors do that as well. And, and I feel like we haven't seen much, if any, footage of you as Robin or Nightwing performing someone else's dialogue. <laughs> I think that needs to change today. Are you with me, people? <laughs> I will take that smattering of applause as a yes. Uh, I will accept that. All right, so, uh, so a second ago, you, you mentioned the word sidekick. Uh, your word, not mine. <laughs> but I have uh, selected a few speeches delivered by famous sidekicks from, from science fiction and fantasy, and I feel that we can improve upon them by swapping in uh, Robin specifically, if we can. <laughs> okay. If you want to do Nightwing, I understand. All right. But, Depends uh, on the line. But, I, but I'd love to do Robin, and I would like to begin in Middle Earth, if we can, <laughs> with, with this, this delightful little moment. So I'm, I'm going to kick us off and see if this works at all. <laughs> Let's give it a shot. Okay. I can't do this, Robin. I know. It's all wrong. By rights, we shouldn't even be here, but we are. It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo. The ones that really mattered. Full of darkness and danger they were, and sometimes you didn't want to know the end. Because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come, and when the sun shines, it will shine out the clearer. Those were the stories that, you, that stayed with you. That meant something, even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Frodo, Batman, I do understand. I know now. Folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back, only they didn't because they were holding on to something. What are we holding on to, Robin? That there's some good in the world, Mr. Frodo, and it's worth fighting for. Yeah, that's how that's done, right there. You're welcome, America. <laughs> All right, that went okay, that went okay. We should make him do it again, shouldn't we? Yeah, we should. Doctor Who fans, let me hear it. All right, so uh, here's one that I've stolen, uh, a River Song speech, which, uh, as, as I read it, I thought, oh, this, this actually kind of works, and I, I really want instead of the doctor. I think it goes either way, but... Uh, what should I say? Do you want me to say Batman? Yeah, let's, let's do Batman. Okay. Okay. I should do this one as Nightwing. Yeah, Amazing. all right. Rewrite. When you run with the Batman, it feels like it will never end. And however hard you try, you can't run forever. Everybody knows that everybody dies, and nobody knows it like the Batman. And I do think that all the skies of all the worlds might just turn dark if he ever for one moment accepted why. Everybody knows that everybody dies, but not every day, not today. Some days are special. Some days are so, so blessed. Some days nobody dies at all. Now and then, every once in a very long while, every day in a million days when the wind stands fair, and the Batman comes to call, everybody lives. <laughs> and then we hold dramatically. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I feel like, just to really push my luck, for all those of us who watched the Chris Nolan movies and thought, where's Robin? And I know, I know, no spoilers, end of three, I know. But where's, where's Robin proper or Nightwing? 
Uh, this is this is. I'm going to give this one away. This is. A, it's really quick too. You'll be happy to know. This is. Uh, this is a Commissioner Gordon speech at the very end of Dark Knight, which, frankly, this is something straight. Oh yeah, thumbs up from your man. So I know that I'm on uh, on a good path here. This is Commissioner Gordon's uh, voiceover at the very end, and I swear, if Robin slash Nightwing shouldn't have been the one to say this in the first place, this totally works. So last time, I promise. <clears throat> He's the hero Gotham deserves, but not the one it needs right now. So we'll hunt him. I guess he can take it, because he's not a hero. He's a silent guardian, a watchful protector, a dark knight. Yeah, roll credits. <laughs> so Christopher Nolan, if you're out there... Oh, he's not doing those movies anymore. No. Crap. So Zach... No, J.J. Abrams, right? No, oh. Oh, who's doing it? Yeah, Zack Snyder. Zack Snyder, if you're out there. Right. I'm available. Although Joss is going to get a crack at it. At, uh, as soon as I'm done here in... <laughs> right. We've got in about 30 minutes. I'm away. You're I'm off, off available. to the set. Absolutely. And so, it's off to Persippany or Whippany. <laughs> <laughs> How early in your life did you know that you wanted to be a performer? Do you, is, was there a singular moment that everything became clear to you when you thought... That's, that's what I want to do with my life. Yeah, when I was uh, 11, I did a, a play in, in, uh, in elementary school, and I played the cat in the hat. Oh, good it was part. The, good part. It was the part, and I thought, wow, I like this. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what I wanted to do. That's fantastic. And you went to school for that, of course, right? I did. I, I went to Occidental College, which has a fan, it's L.A., has a fantastic uh, theater program. And at the time, they had this summer theater program, which was a lot like summer stock. So you would do five shows in a very short period of time, and boy, you really learn how to be an actor in those kinds of situations. And it was a musical and a Shakespeare and George Bernard Shaw and all packed into a, a short summer season and did that for many years, five, six years. Oh, that's fantastic. Is, is there anything that you wished that you had, had learned uh, in school or been trained in school that you had to figure out on your own over time? And, and the example that I think of is, you know, in school you might learn, you're going to learn Meisner technique or any number of Shakespeare uh, classics, but I hear other actors talk about like, you know what they don't teach you that I really could have learned? How to uh, most effectively manage a social media footprint or how to act with a green screen or the... Uh, Things along those lines, and I know that that sort of pertains to a certain, you know, uh, career path as far as performance goes. But was there anything that you got in, out in the world and like, well, this is a street smarts thing that I did not get? Well, when school. I was in school, uh, a social media footprint meant, <laughs> meant nothing. There was no such thing as social media, so well, that you had your abacuses <laughs> in school, and <laughs> right, right, and and I had a Betamax. Does that count? Wow. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> Uh, no, the thing, the one thing I wish I'd, I had learned, and, and this is true for, uh, I think, every actor, young actor, they should somehow learn this. I don't even know if it's possible to learn it, is patience. You must learn to be patient because everybody's ambitious and they want, they want it now and they want, you know, and it just, it just doesn't work that way. And I mean, it worked, for some, it works that way. Some people immediately burst on the scene and they fizzle or burn or, or last for decades. You know, it happens to some people. Uh, you know, people like Sean Penn and people like that, decades later, they're still going. But it, it usually doesn't happen all at once, and it takes patience. So I wish I'd learned that. 
Sure. Well, I did. Did that? Do you feel like you ever suffered from that? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh sure. Because uh, very, very, always been very ambitious. I think practically every actor is very ambitious, and you, you say, God, why can't I be one of those people in in the movie Taps? You know, <laughs> sure. You know that kind of thing. That probably means nothing to anyone out there. <laughs> it's in is review, it, Betamax, but, Taps. Yeah. But if you look at Taps, uh, Timothy Hutton. Uh, uh, um, Sean, Tom Cruise, Cruise, thank you. Right, uh, right. Sean Penn, all these people who are Diner, yep. movie Diner. Yep. These are movies where everybody in that movie be- yep. went on to become a really big star. It's like, God, why can't I get an audition for that movie? Yeah. You know, right? Oh, can you have your attention? They're casting a Diner sequel. They want to let you know. Wait, no, they found my wallet. I'll be right back. <laughs> Good. <laughs> So young actors starting off always uh, end up paying their dues and, and taking just about any paid opportunity that comes along. Did you have any really uh, awkward early gigs like a commercial or something that you'd like to embarrass yourself by telling us about at this time? Oh, you know, I've been really lucky. I have never had, I've really never had really? an experience like that. Nice. Yeah. And I've also never had a really bad experience. I know actors have a lot of oh god, I can't believe when I worked with so and so. I've had I've had nothing but really good experiences. The problem is that there's sometimes big spaces between the experiences. <laughs> that's the that's the unhappy sure. part. Sure, absolutely. But no, I have never had any of those weird had some weird auditions, but not uh, nothing n- nothing that involved a job. No. Uh, can you can you think of a weird audition that you can tell us about that is, is it just the sort of thing that you walk into and they're like, all right, we want you to do it like this, but can you do it a little bit more like this and like this and look at the camera and stand on one leg? What was the situation? Uh, usually, um, and, and this happens quite often, is that between the time you get the first audition and you get the callback, they bring you back, you know, whatever it is. For a movie, it could be weeks and weeks later. TV show, usually it's a couple days later. For the callback, a lot of times they've chosen somebody for the part. <laughs> They've offered the part to somebody, but they go ahead with the callback because if that person falls through, they have a backup plan, right? So a lot of times, you know, you work really, really hard on the thing and, and say, oh, they liked me. They really liked me. You feel like Sally Field. You know? They like me. They really like me. And you come back for the, for the uh, uh, callback and they're all sitting there like this. Yeah, absolutely dead. And you, and you finish your audition like, thank you very much. And you leave and you... And you find out later it's because they offered the part to somebody else. You think, oh, they hated me. What did I do differently? Why didn't I do the same thing the first time? Right. You really did. But. It's, it's all the formality for them, but it's, it's the hours. It's the day for you. And exactly. like, this could be it, you guys. Or, or you know, they'll, they'll, they'll give you a scene, and, and then for the callback, you have three scenes. So now you're learning three scenes, and you come in, and they go, uh, just do the first scene. That's what we need. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I will. I will. At this time. <laughs> uh, the promotional materials for, for this show mention that this is your first East Coast convention. Is that true? It is true. Did we do something Yay! to offend Forest you? Town. Woo! Was it something we said? Why were you gone for so long? No, Lauren? no, it's not gone for so long. The truth is I haven't started. I only started doing conventions less than two years ago. Uh-huh. I had never done them before. And uh, I met these uh, crazy guys, one of whom is right there. Yeah, let's hear from the crazy. And they said, uh, <laughs> why, don't you, uh, why don't you do conventions? I said, sure, why not? <laughs> and they have been booking me all over the country, so it's a lot of fun. Well, I'm glad I did. I wish I'd done it years ago. That's great. I hope that New Jersey has been kind to you It's so been far. great. This Wonderful. has been a great convention. 
Uh, I know that you've done uh, a lot on, on, the, on the West Coast, of course, uh, often with Kevin Conroy, as we talked about. Have you ever had any deeply weird encounters? Have you ever been asked to sign something really, really strange? They're like, hey, uh, could we get some help? Well, I was, I was in a movie called Rock and Roll High School. I yeah. don't know if you saw that. But um, every couple of years, they do a screening of it in the uh, cemetery in Hollywood, the Hollywood Forever oh, Cemetery. Yeah, yeah. And it attracts a very large crowd, and most of them are from the punk movement, you know. And they're all, you know, very nice, very cool people, but they're just, they're into their whole punk thing. And one year they decided that we, they would like to do autographs. So we did autographs, and uh, a, a woman came up to me in her punk outfit, and she wanted me to sign a couple of parts of her body. And, uh, she had no idea that I had my kids there. <laughs> so I said, you know, I don't think this is a good idea. I said, and it's also, you know what, this probably might not wash off for a long, long time. She said, that's the idea. So anyway, I turned that down. <laughs> Ahem, I was going to say, my kid is here. Watch this story, exactly. Lauren. Easy. Exactly. So, um... One of your other major voiceover credits was playing barbecue on the G.I. Joe cartoon. We need to talk about some G.I. Joe here. G.I. Joe fans in the his house. Sure. And remember, no one is half the battle. <laughs> oh, we're going to cover that. Make no mistake. I, I can tell you that, that for me and any number of Gen Xers, that cartoon was a religion in the 80s. I mean, yeah. my, my wife has talked about... Yeah, there we go. The yo, high priest yo, of, of the religion is right over here. <laughs> my, in talking about it even with my wife and preparing to come here today, she has said like, oh yeah, I came home from school and I settled in to watch G.I. Joe. Um, Your wife came, did? My wife did. Wow. Yeah, I married No wonder you married Well, her. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, it's, uh, it's official. Um, she's going nowhere. For the, uh, for the uninitiated, could you please explain the character of Barbecue and his role on the G.I. Joe team? Well, I don't know if this is true of any other cartoon, because yeah. I don't know all of them, but I don't know of a, another cartoon where you only see his face once. <laughs> I mean, it's, I think he's only, is that right? only on in one episode. one episode. Yeah, and in the PSA where I say, no one is half the battle. Yeah. I think it's the only time you ever see his face. Everything else, he's in the, the fire suit. Which is pretty, it's not awkward at all, considering the amount of time that they're just sort of sitting around quipping at each other, which, uh, as I'm reviewing the show, happens way more than I remembered on G.I. Oh, Joe. Yes. There's a <laughs> and, and the cast was a very quippy cast. I oh, mean, really? these guys, oh man, they were so funny. All of the people who were in that cast, I mean, it was a chop-out set. What's the, what's the term now? They don't say chop-out session. A, no, we haven't said that since Betamax. Right, what, what, what do we call it now? What's it called now? Um, what, just that everyone was riffing all the time? Yeah, each on each other. Yeah, yeah riffing on each other all the oh, time. Very, very funny. Very nice. funny. And you got to be on your guard, and you got to be ready, because these guys could riff with the best of them. But the interesting part of that was that uh, they asked, the audition was for a Boston accent, and you know what? I don't do, a, I do a Boston accent, but I don't do it the way that the people who are really good at it, I mean, people who are really good at it are really, really good at it. Yeah. So I said, you know, I really can't do that, but I can do a main accent. They said, it'll do that. And I got the part. So. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So, so barbecue is a little bit more main than he is. Yeah, a bit more main. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Et cetera. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's and that funny. accent is so in now, too, the Boston thing. <laughs> so many parts come out. Must, be, must sound like a real townie. Must sound like a South. 
I think it's the whole Ben Affleck. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, curse you, Affleck, what yes, you ever wrought. exactly. <laughs> and, and also the Wahlbergs, you know, yes, it's all, of, all of them. It's, it's the unholy alliance between yeah. those two. Uh, those Who two knew that there was one, right? Yeah, right. I'm, we don't want to talk about that any more than we need to. Um, it, so, so I was revisiting some episodes and preparing for this and hit, of course, with a massive wave of nostalgia for the toys. And people always talk about how, you know, that was at that, fair, that phase in the 80s, it was like everything was a big commercial for the toys, which yes. arguably is true. But like Absolutely in the best true. possible way, I'd watch that and think like, that's Destro's helicopter. I had that. And there's the mm-hmm. tank. I had that. Um, what, what was it like to be in the middle? Since that also was humongous. It was humongous. What was it like to be in the middle of that? Was that exciting or was it just another job as far as your vantage point was concerned? Well, uh, G.I. Joe and Batman, it's the same thing. It was like a really great job. Mm-hmm. And uh, whenever, whenever you have a job as an actor that goes on, it's, it's like heaven. You know, it's great. So I was always looking forward to that, going to record that. Always looking. I just did a, a, a new TV series called Orville, or yeah. The Orville, however they're going to call it. Sure. I, don't, I don't think they've made up their mind yet. But Seth MacFarlane, it's a, it's it's a live-action show, and it's kind of a spoof of Star Trek. And uh, I had 10 days on that show, and it was so exciting to, like, every day wake up, for 10 days in a row and go to work because that doesn't happen very often sure. as an actor. So with G.I. Joe and with Batman to know, oh, there's another episode coming up, another, always looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. Always. Absolutely. Uh, when, when not shooting lasers at the forces of Cobra, uh, the, the Joes Cobra! were... Cobra! We're, we're always doling out, as you say, important safety uh, information in the series of PSAs at the end of that show. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping that, uh, taking a step back to your training, I'm hoping that, uh, that there was a fair amount of improv in your training, Lauren, because I would love for us to uh, explore that, that wonderful world of PSAs <laughs> from the perspective of barbecue. If, okay. uh, if as say, for example, I was a small person that had right. some problems that maybe right. he could solve. All right. Okay, great. I'm not sure if he's into it. Is he still looking at me? What's he doing right now? I'm just wondering if you have... You, it, it, it's completely improv on my end? Well, sure it is. Okay, but you, have, <laughs> but you have specific things you want to talk yes, about on your yes, end? Yes, I've got oh, some So you ideas. get a script. Uh, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm being the fakest improviser of all time. Okay. All my improv training okay. is, is I'm out ready the window. For you. I'm ready for it. All right, great. All right. I'm, he's ready for me. Yeah. Um, um, barbecue, help. My friends and I were playing with some matches. We're going to start easy. Okay. Playing with some matches. We set the treehouse on fire. My uncle Todd built that. He's going to be ticked. What do we do, barbecue? Well, if you come over here and uh, get this grill, I could put some burgers on top of it and we can have some lunch. <laughs> Thanks, barbecue. Now I know. And knowing is half the battle. Yeah. Barbecue, help. I've had these ribs slow cooking all afternoon, but the sauce isn't right. My uncle Todd entered me into a competition at the county fair, and if I don't win, he's going to be ticked. What do we do, barbecue? Well, you shouldn't have used your little brother's ribs, for one thing. (laughs) He's so annoying, though, barbecue. He's so annoying. Well, no one is half the battle. Thanks, now I know. I like that. Yes, I'm going to start deputizing you all to sing G.I. Joe at the end of this. Because are there more? You know there are. Help, Barbecue! As a resident of the state of New Jersey, I can't decide if I'm supposed to root for the Giants or the Jets. Is there room enough in one heart to root for more than one football team? Well, uh, to be honest with you, I'm more of a baseball fan, so why don't you move to uh, San Francisco and root for those Giants? (laughs) Maybe I will. Plus, you're from New England. Can I really trust anything you say on this football matter? Well, you know what? Uh, we don't have any teams up in Maine where I come from. But originally, I was from Boston, where we do have a team. 
Yeah, we don't like them. Thanks anyway, barbecue. That's all right. Now I know. And no one is half the battle. <laughs> oh, I think I think the rehearsal went really well. Thanks, everyone. That was. We'll wrap that up at this time. That was that was fantastic. I appreciate that. I know I like to believe that uh, that Maine actually does. I'd like the the, the fighting vacation landers or something. Why yeah. not? Go lobsters. Uh, Speaking of, of sounding like the lost Wahlberg, uh, you were a voice on the New Kids on the Block animated series. <laughs> ah, now you see, now that's where I got to do my Boston accent. Yeah, You're there right. we go. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm digging now. Now we're going to get to the... We've been nice and polite talking about the obvious things. Now, on that does, IMDb does, list... Do, does anyone here know who the New Kids on the Block were? We got one. We got All right, two. There we got we two. <laughs> three people. So this is going to be a fascinating story for the other people. They're like One Direction, but the first time. Uh, so tell me about that process and the casting, and, and maybe more interestingly, did so you played Jordan Knight. I did. Right? I played Jordan Knight. Jordan. That's right. Did anyone on uh, anyone involved with that show like was there? Uh, did they have to have sign off on your characterization? Like how involved or like he's really nailed Jordan Knight. Well, uh, the thing, the reason that they had actors doing this and not the real new kids is because. The new kids couldn't act. What? At all. Hold on. I know. I'm stop sorry. Stop it. Uh, I mean, they were dynamite singers and dancers. What? But, Hold on. Stop but, it. <laughs> but but um, when they decided to do an animated series about them, they really, they so they gave us these tapes and that our audition was to become as, as exact on their voices. So, uh, I, I, and I auditioned for all of them. We all auditioned for all of them and you know, tried to imitate their voices. But it was like, hey, you guys, want to go down, want to go down, want to go downtown and get, uh, like get a beer or something? I don't know, whatever, yeah. whatever they said. And it was just, it was so dull and boring. So we were coming in with those auditions and they said, but could you like, could you like make it better? <laughs> so, so those of us who got the parts sound like them, but were actually lively and acting. <laughs> Funny that. Interesting. That show is, is edited so bizarrely, jumping around between actual concert footage and then there's an animated plot. And sometimes there like there's a there's a border around it sometimes, like this weird very nineteen nineties, like blinking pink and lime green shapes and stuff. If I think you say I had, so. <laughs> I had a seizure watching that episode to I'm prepare sorry. for this. That was that was incredible. Um, we're pretty much at the end of our time, unfortunately. I uh, I thought, what are we going to talk about for an hour, and still have all this stuff? So get comfortable because I have two more hours worth of questions. <laughs> um, where can people follow you on social media to learn about your latest adventures, and of course the latest on Harley Quinn and Batman, which debuts at San Diego Comic Con? Is that yes, it? San Diego Comic Con debuts the twenty July twenty first, and then is uh, in the movie theaters on August thirteenth for one night only. <laughs> And then on August 14th, the next day, it goes on to DVD and Blu-ray. Okay. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Facebook at ActorLL. ActorLL. Start, uh, start looking him up right now. Uh, once again, please thank, welcome and thank and everything. Lauren Lester, welcome to New Jersey <laughs> again. You. Have a great time. That was great. Appreciate it. As Lauren mentioned in the interview, his latest performance as Nightwing in the animated film Batman and Harley Quinn is now available on Blu-ray, DVD, and digital download. 
That's it for this episode of 1.21 Gigawatts. Many thanks to my guest Lauren Lester and the good people at the Garden State Comic Fest, Dave O'Hare, Sal Zerzolo, and Eric Palomo for the opportunity and technical support. And thanks, of course, to you for inviting me into your ear canals to nerd out. It means more to me than you know, truly. I'd love to hear what you think about this latest audio adventure. What do you like? What should be exposed to the Joker's Smilex laughing gas and sent to giggle maniacally in the corner? Forever. You can tell me by leaving me a message at one of the show's many social media channels. You heard all about them before, but I'll remind you once again. They are the 1.21 Geekawatts Facebook page, where you can follow and discuss the latest film, TV, comic book, and genre entertainment news. On Twitter, I'm at 121Geekawatts, and on Instagram, I'm 1.21 underscore Geekawatts. Plus, you can find all of those feeds in one magnificent destination at the 1.21 Geekawatts website. It has photos, blog entries, every episode to date, newsletter sign-up information, and more. Get thee to www.121geekawatts.com and wallow in the nerdliness. And if you're not already aware, every episode of this podcast is available for free in the podcasts section at the iTunes store. It's so easy to subscribe and never miss a geeky second. Whether you're a subscriber or not, you can leave the show a review, hopefully a good one, on iTunes, which will help more people find the show, which would make me a happy, happy podcaster. And if you're not an iTunes user, you can always find us by searching for 1.21 gigawatts at soundcloud.com. Huge gratitude to the Field Marshal of Fidelity, composer and my co-producer David Sisko. You are and remain the best, Sisko. Dear listener, if you enjoyed this travel-sized chunk of geekitude, please share it with a nerdy friend. You can follow, like, etc. all those social media accounts mentioned a few seconds ago and let people know that you're listening. And don't forget that the contest has begun and is underway until September 15th, 2017. So you can share the podcast as requested and might get rewarded with some awesome Dark Tower literary swag for your efforts. I'm Brad Barton, and until next time, here's Nerd Rock Band H2Awesome with our rad-tastic theme song. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Whatever geek wants is what we got From Doctor Who to Aqualad You might meet Luke and Leia's dad Pop culture that is super rad Hosted by some guy named Brad It'll rock you to your nylon Cylon socks 1.21 freaking gigawatts Listen, dipstick Batman's my pal. He can be a major jerk, but you gotta love him. And nobody tries to fillet him when I'm around.